Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is right around the corner, and Bet Online has you covered with all of the college and pro odds, contests, parlays, and wagers. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous day. We have got a great show coming at you. It's September 1st, as I mentioned. New month, new I guess, season, fourth season of covering football. It'll be fantastic. And we've got Gage Bridgeford joining us to talk NFL here on the show today. Gage does a podcast for the Denver Nuggets. He does a podcast for, well, he does the Denver Nuggets pod on Believe. He does a Packers podcast. It's Pack a Day. It's on Blue Wire Pods. It's one of the most popular NFL podcasts right now. He's a frequent host there. Uh, he writes for a bunch of different places. He's on Twitter. Gage is our friend, and he's been coming on now for, I guess, a year and a half now, like 18 months. Gage has been uh, frequenting this show. We've got a great little rapport going on, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy today's show as Gage gets uh, back into the NFL spirit, and we talk about what the season's going to look like uh, without actually doing any conclusions about what team is what this year just kind of macro level nfl conversations i don't have an a block today so we're gonna roll right along into our conversation with gage bridgeford great to see you again well i guess we're not seeing each other but great to hear from you again gage 
great to hear from you, Kyle. How's uh, how's the rest of the summer been treating you? I have been busy as all get out. It's been a lighter workload in terms of writing, but I've been just kind of doing something. It seems like every other day I got another three things that get added to my to-do list. I get what you mean as, as someone who's moving plus picking up seven shifts in nine days plus making a podcast slash book slash doing all these podcasts. I get you. It is uh it's one thing to the next day. And uh, you've got two different podcasts now that you do, which is pretty cool. Plus being a writer, plus having a job, plus doing all the stuff that you do. Yeah. And then actually uh, off-season workouts for baseball just started today. So I will missing the first like off. I'm missing the first thing tonight, but uh, the next one is tomorrow. So I'll be attending that. So baseball, despite ending in June for me, is already starting up again uh, in August. Yeah, it, like well, the last day of August, but still August. You have baseball already going on at this point. That is a that is a it, vicious nine month yep. calendar. You're not wrong. Well, I get what you mean. It's technically the fall if you count like sun, uh, September being the fall. I know it's like September 21st. Nope. No, it's not. T- yeah, I was like September 21st is the fall. This is technically still summer. I I count fall as when like the weather changes. Like I, I understand mo- like people operate off of the calendar and stuff like that. I operate off of when it gets colder that's 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 fall and when it gets really cold that's winter i don't care if that means that winter starts a little early like some people will be like oh well winter doesn't actually start till december 21st no when it's december 3rd and it's like 10 degrees outside that's winter now this is not fall anymore that's winter and then winter doesn't end till spring starts it's not spring isn't just march 22nd it's when it gets warmer i get that part for sure but you're out there in indiana like here it doesn't get lower than like 80 degrees until like the end of October. <laughs> like September is then the it hottest sounds day like of the your year. guys is then, then then your fall doesn't start until October is what I'm hearing. Yeah, we're in the middle of summer right now. August and September are like by far the hottest months even though it's, you know, it's when people are either back in school or football is starting. When people think it's fall where it's like 50 degrees or 40 degrees in other parts of the country it's still like 90 degrees out here in northern california yeah no you are definitely you guys definitely have a different weather pattern than we uh deal with here that's for sure yeah okay the the, we'll we'll figure out whatever it is it's september 1st by the time people are listening to this so technically september technically football season now basketball's in the dead of the offseason. Although I do I do I am surprised that people aren't getting more excited about Jokic versus Giannis playing in, in the European qualifiers. I assume it's just because it's not on TV, but you know, you can actually watch the best basketball players in the world still playing, whether it's European qualifiers or Chet Holmgren getting hurt in a pro am. But basically it's just football season and for people who love baseball, like the most boring parts of baseball season where ever we know who the playoff teams are. And we're just waiting to actually get to the playoffs. So, yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much the weird sports in between we're in right now. Yeah, everybody in the uh, sporting world is just trying to find anything. And I think that's why everybody's so excited to watch like Euro basket basketball. That's why everyone and especially in the gambling world, everyone is just excited to have stuff to get on and Right now, it's baseball. Baseball's been very hit or miss this year. There's been some very big hits. There's been a lot of big misses. 
and people are just excited to get back to football, which is a little more stable. Uh, there's a little bit more predictability. And also it's on all the time. Like once football season starts, it's you have Monday night football, Thursday night football. You have your regular sat- Sunday football. You have college football on Fridays and Saturdays. So basically there's four or five nights a week, you're going to have football to watch. And then once you get even further into the year, that's when you start adding NFL on a more and more nights. So everybody in the sporting world that cares about football to any extent is just excited for a week from now when there will be NFL and college football all day, all the time. What are you interested in going into the NFL season? What have you been thinking about writing about conversing about what's got you interested? Uh, I am interested to see the various teams around the league that I think are going to be different. So there's the, aspect of the Broncos now have a co- the best quarterback they've had since Manning retired. They had the 49ers have Trey Lance, who I love Trey Lance. We've talked about it before. I love the quarterback. I think he can be great. Can Kyle Shanahan with the guy that he wants, what is that team going to look like? What are we going to see out of the Rams? Are they going to be able to run it back? I know Stafford's got his elbow thing. There's a lot of teams that I am interested to see what happens. I don't watch the preseason. I never have. I don't plan to. Um, I just, I don't think that I gain a lot of it or a lot out of it because most defenses are running vanilla stuff. They're not running real scheme. Most teams aren't playing their starters and their star players. So you're not really gaining anything there. So I'm just, I'm excited to watch teams and see, or the, the elite of the elite teams who really is in that upper echelon. And then I also want to see who the worst teams in the league are going to be. I mean, I can predict today that I think the, like the Jets, the Texans are going to be bad. I don't think, I don't know if the Giants are going to be great. I don't, I can kind of predict that stuff, but I, it's not until the product actually goes on the field that you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is where the the differences lie between each team. I can't remember who did this years ago and I've been like citing it for years now, but I wish I remembered the, the, NFL, I don't know what they work for, but they, they basically crunched the data over like 40 years and figured out that because of the nature of football, it works like a, a bell curve for distributing teams. So usually it's like there are six elite teams, five to six elite teams, 10 teams that are quote unquote playoff teams, 10 teams that are below average to average. And then there's six tanking teams re- roughly every year. Like sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's eight, nine or 10. But for the most part, it's usually six really good teams, six really bad teams and a bunch of people in the middle. And I feel like this year it's it's a whole lot more middle, I think, than there's ever been before, because like you said, the the Falcons are going to be bad. The Bears are going to be bad. The Seahawks are going to be bad. The Texans are going to be bad. After that, there are going to be teams that finish with bad records, but they're going to be like actively trying to win like the the Jets and Jaguars are going to actively try and win. The Panthers are actively trying to win. They might end up being bad at the end of the year, but it feels like the middle of the pack is larger than it's been in past years. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the person you're citing is, uh, I think it's like Jimmy Johnson, possibly. I don't know. I know that like Jimmy, I think it's either Jimmy Johnson or Bill Belichick. They, I remember a quote about them where there's only really a couple, like two teams that that are actually competing and then if you just focus on yourself, everybody else will take themselves out. Mm-hmm. I only know about it because uh, Bill Simmons has mentioned the same statistic or quote on his pod a number of times. So that's I can't remember specifically who who it is and the exact details of it. But I know exactly what you're talking about. But 
there are i think there's actually even less middle teams and more like teams that are realistically competing and then teams that are rebuilding i think that there's i think that there's even less of a middle class of rebuilding team of like teams that are good but not great and there's teams that can win a super bowl and then there's everybody else and i understand that everyone's like oh well really there's only one team that can win a super bowl every year anyway no there's there are teams that can realistically win a super bowl this year there's everybody's gonna like have their own opinions as to who like how many teams are in there but there's there's only a handful of them and then everybody else should realistically just give up the problem is not every team does that like the Panthers are a prime example of a team that should be like tanking. They're not. Mm-hmm. Washington is another one. So like the ringer has uh it's called the all index. This is like teams that have gone all in on draft capital as well as on spending money. You have your top 10 is like your Rams, Broncos, Browns, Dolphins, Niners, Saints, Chargers, Raiders, Bucks, Bills. A lot of those make sense. Like Dolphins may be a little high up. It's mostly due to money. Uh, and having all their picks taken away for tampering yeah that as well but like raiders another one money and Mm -hmm. and draft picks but then you then 11th and 12th you have panthers cardinals i don't think the panthers or cardinals are going to compete for a title this year yeah oh actually to round it out 11 12 and 13 are panthers cardinals commanders commanders might finish last in their division it's going to be between them and the giants Panthers, I also I think are going to finish second to last in their division, and then Cardinals will probably finish third in their division as well. But I don't think any of those teams, and then like teams behind them are like you have the Colts, the Vikings, the Cowboys, the Bengals who just went to the Super Bowl, the Eagles, the Packers. There's all these other teams that you realistically think are going to be more likely to more likely to compete this year are behind teams that are more all in because they are just foolish with the way that they spend stuff. Like you have the Texans are the least all in team in the league. They have the lowest, I believe the lowest amount of money like invested or second to fewest. uh, I think it's only the Falcons have less money invested. And then their draft capital all index is 28 for reference. The Rams are 150. Like that is where that is the spread. There's 122 spots between them and then the top team. That one's interesting because I understand teams going all in because this year kind of changed my thinking about some of that stuff. And oh, also going back to something you said a little bit earlier, I've heard the Belichick quote before where he's like the the Belichick idea of coaching is like you just do your job and the other team will make a mistake. It's the it's the Mike Tomlin don't blink thing where it's like if you don't make a mistake, the other team will make the mistake and take you out of it. As long as you do your job consistently, everyone else will make the mistake. Some NFL analyst, I don't know if who they worked for, whether it's football outsiders or someone like that, but they basically like crunched the numbers on that saying and proved Belichick basically correct a couple of years ago. I wish I remember who it was because I want to give them credit for it. Um, but t- to your point about going all in, I th- where this year changed for me was seeing like the Jets try and get all of the best wide receivers and they just simply couldn't. And the Dolphins tried to get all the best receivers and then eventually they got Tyree Kill, but they went through Debo and DK and all the free agent guys and Jarvis Landry. And they like went through the whole gambit of people 
and Washington like called every team to see if their quarterback was available. They offered three first round picks for Russell Wilson reportedly, and they got stuck with Carson Wentz. So like the alternative is just to be bad for a long time. But I guess the solution there is that's what tanking is, is a concerted effort to get young, talented players who you can control for years. And that will then make your make your franchise a more desirable location. That's kind of the whole theory of tanking. It's just like, like you said, Carolina, Washington, even the Jets, even though they've been tanking the last few years, they don't really want to commit to full tanks because that's three years of losing. And it usually means that whoever is employed by the team will probably not be the person who sees through the whole project once they finish tanking. Well, you know, there's this whole thing where if you're not the guy that's there, you're not the guy holding the winning hand when the like when the game ends. Mm-hmm. Who cares? I mean, it's like Sam Hinkie, like people wanted to like people ragged on him, said he should be fired for tanking and whatever. And then the 76ers, while they haven't won a championship, they've been one of the best teams in the East over the last few years. And it was all he started the whole thing. He was he built the foundation for everything. You have the Browns with Andrew Barry or and or whoever was there right before him. I can't remember. Uh, it was Sashi Brown, I think, because yeah, he was Sashi like Brown. the NFL's Sam Hinkie. Sa- Sashi Brown, another guy that everyone dogged on him, and then now the Browns. Well, they make inter- they make poor decisions in. Yeah, um, let's let's cut the judgment. cut the line off about December of 2021. Like the Browns Char- from well, 2018 no, it's not to just 2021. Them. It's not just then. Like character judgment, they had they. I mean, they brought in Kareem Hunt. They have they obviously the Watson stuff, which we're not getting into. There's just so not in terms of character judgment, but they are a team that has built out a strong roster. They have a great, they have one of the best defensive players in the league in miles Garrett. They have strong corners. They have good safeties. They have Nick Chubb, who's one of the best peer running backs in the NFL. They had up until they trade Odell Beckham. Cause he just, it just wasn't a good fit for him and the rest of the offense. They had Baker who took them and they won a playoff game. They developed a good team. And yeah, no, it was Sashi Brown wasn't the architect anymore, but he was the guy that laid out the foundation for the building that was there. And for the most part, it's been a quality building. It just is a matter of getting everything right at the right time, which there's a reason that not everybody wins the Super Bowl every year. It's hard to win one. Everything's got to come together at just the right time. And that just doesn't always happen. I agree so with you. Even if, you're, if even if you're the guy tanking and you're going to eventually lose your job, and I get it's like easy for me to sit here and say, "Oh, well, I didn't like you lost your job. That sucks for you." Who cares if you? Because you can you can visualize and see that you did a good job, and if you do a good job, you can get you're going to get other chances. And if so, if someone's like, "Oh, well, that guy got fired. They didn't win a single. They won four games in three years while he was there." That that's there. We're not taking him in. And then it's like, and then you look and you wait a year. And then that team has gone from being one of the worst teams in the league to all that young talent that he brought in developed. And is now one of the best teams in the league. Hey, maybe that guy knows something that he's talking about. And maybe you don't get another GM job, but you can get a front office job because you clearly have an eye for talent. Maybe you're like a head scout. And do you have to go? And all you have to do is you have to go to like to the stadium. You don't have to go on tri- recruiting trips or anything like, or, on the trail or anything like that. You just got to go to work. And then when the draft comes around, you got to be ready to go. There's yeah. still, 
The mm-hmm. NFL is all about nepotism. There's a reason that everybody just gets rehired. You sit here and you look around the league and everything, every single person's a rehire. I remember at one point it was like every coach could be traced back to like three different coaches or something crazy like that. Like the Shanahan tree was like half of the NFL at one point because you could trace back, oh, this guy worked on this staff and this staff and so on and so forth. It's all, everybody knows everybody anyway. So who cares? Like there's 700 Lombardis, it seems in NFL, like media, NFL on like as a coach or players and all this other stuff. So it's just, if you can get into the NFL in some way, shape or form, you're probably going to be set for a long time. And a lot of people don't have that perspective when it comes to working the job, which is why I've recognized now the the difference between what an organizational's goals is. Because when you're running a team, sometimes everyone likes to say our goal is to win a championship. Sometimes the goal is just to keep your job. And that like whoever was running the Vikings, I forgot the name of the general manager. For the, oh, uh, Spielman for the Vikings. The last four years, his whole goal was just buy another two years, buy another year at my job, buy another year because they just kept going eight and eight every year. And that was good enough to to protect his job. And they weren't actually trying to make meaningful improvements to to upgrade the team. They were just trying to stay at the level that they were. And, you know, credit to them for turning that thing back around presumably this year without having to do a full tear down. Like they, they actually have talented players, but they just like lucked into getting Justin Jefferson late in the first round of the draft and, and kept that machine moving. So I, I think that general managers and coaches are fixated on protecting the job first and foremost, that I think they miss out on, on the possibility of building something sustainable. But I think that also just requires actually being a good coach and being a good leader, whether you're a general manager or a coach. To, you have to actually have the vision in the first place. And uh, I don't think a lot of people in positions of power in sports have that vision. Yeah, having a, I mean, if you can show that you have a good vision in place, it's just all about executing it. But if you can show you have a good vision, that's how you can get a job and keep it. Like, it's just a matter of showing, hey, this is what my vision is. My vision is for the team to be like this. Our plan is to do exactly these things, and we're going to focus on just executing that plan. We don't care about anything else. This is the execution of the plan. Like Les Snead with the Rams, his plan is to make the team as talented as possible at, while they can't. They don't care about anything else. If that means they got to trade away all of their draft picks, so be it. There's a reason that they're consistently – they've been one of the best teams in the league with Sean McVay as their head coach. They know they had a plan in mind, and they are executing on the plan. For them specifically, it's remarkable that they've had that success and it's also been sustainable. Like you would think that going all in is like trying to maximize a short window, but for them, they've actually had a sustainable model of success. And I think that comes from like finding players within the margins, but uh, you know, the Rams last year were built on three superstar players and Matthew Stafford being just good enough to, to play the most important position. And I think that it's interesting that the Rams have been so sustainable, despite the fact that, like you said, they keep trading all their draft picks, going all in, using all their cap space and cap maneuvering and stuff like that. But remarkably, they've been sustainable. But maybe that's just, like I said, having three of the 12 best players in the NFL. I mean, and it's not even just that. It's their ability to, while they're hitting on, yeah, they're getting the superstars, they have to hit at every other level. That's how this whole thing works is you hit on your Sebastian Joseph days, your 
your Darius Williams, your Troy Hill, uh, your who like Corey all Littleton. these. I mean, Cooper Cup to that like for that matter. Who Cooper Cup is was a third round pick out of Eastern Washington. He played on a bright red field. It <laughs> like you sit here and every like and you like yeah, hitting on the the superstars you're trading for is great, but you have to fill out everything else. I mean, they're not. Like there's a there's something to be said for how good they've made their roster despite not having like first round picks. They have like Allen Robinson, who they brought in as free agent, obviously, but then they had drafted Van Jefferson, and I think Van Jefferson's a good player. They're starting offensive line right now. Rob Havenstein is the only player on their starting five that was picked before the third round. They had Lejono Boom, third round pick. David Edwards, fifth round pick. Brian Allen, fourth round pick. Coleman Shelton was a player off of, a, I believe, the practice squad for the Cardinals. Then you had Rob Havenstein, second round pick. Tyler Higby, fourth round pick. You're sitting there and like Greg Gaines, fourth round pick. Uh, Ernest Jones, third round pick. David Long Jr., third round pick. The sixth round pick, Jordan Fuller, is a starting safety for them. Nick Scott, free safety, is a seventh round pick. So you sit here and you just look at all of these guys that they're filling out the roster with. And it's all late round guys. You have to like, yeah, they, we can make a joke about not having first round picks, but they're hitting everything else. That's, that's how you win. Like if you can hit everything else and trade your first round picks for stars, it's basically like you won, like your first round pick is a hit. It just, you got, you were like, Hey, I got this proven commodity. It's like buying a car that, like you know is good. Like there's hey, yeah, I could draft this car for cheap that might be great or I could just buy this car that I that's already built and I know is going to be great. And it's going to cost me a little more, but I know it's going to work. So I'll go ahead and I'll buy this car. Could that other car work out great? Yeah, sure, but it also could very well just flop and then I have to buy a new car anyway. I mean, I might be thinking about this because I'm deep in the weeds on writing about the Spurs and, and doing a podcast series on the Spurs. But isn't this the old model of the Spurs and the Miami Heat where it's like we've got the stars, we've got the we, we've got lucky in that we got Tim Duncan or we got Dwayne Wade or we got, you know, Aaron Donald. But we've been able to find value within the margins to build around that and then, you know transition seamlessly from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Kawhi Leonard. And in the case of the the Rams, they, you know, went to the Super Bowl with a team that was 75% players that were drafted or acquired by Jeff Fisher. And then three years later went to a Super Bowl where everyone but like the punter and Aaron Donald were acquired by Sean McVay. And that's like that sustainability model of like we have Aaron Donald, he makes the whole thing move. And we've been able to build a sustainable team around whatever Aaron Donald has, even with different generations, like going from Gurley to Cup to, I guess, Robert Woods was there also for a second. And even he was like cut by the Buffalo Bills and turned into a Pro Bowl receiver. Like, I feel like that's the model for success is like we find value within the margins and got lucky that we have these generational stars and so even when we're going you know quote unquote all in or effing them picks like we can still build a sustainable winner i think a better example at least in terms of the nba is actually cleveland with lebron during his second time through you had lebron for a handful of years he like he was there you already had Kyrie, but you traded wiggins for kevin love and then after that it was just about fill out the roster however we can and that was Channing Fry 
that was Tristan Thompson, who you had, but like you, you made him better. You, that was your, that was your, uh, like Richard Jefferson was there. You, you, you figured out Dion waiters, wasn't it? So you'll go ahead and you'll trade him away for, I think it was like Shumpert and J.R. Smith. They got for waiters. They got, so yeah, Shumpert and J.R. Smith. You had Joe Harris, who could never, for whatever reason, could never really click with that LeBron team, even though he made a ton of sense there. And then you shipped him out. You had uh, James Jones played minutes occasionally. Timofey Mozgov, uh, the guy that we're all forgetting, Matthew Delabadova. It was, it was just a matter <laughs> who, who of people forget got sent to the hospital after guarding Steph Curry for an entire finals game. It, I mean, I think all the rest of us wouldn't even make it out of the building. We would all just be laying on the floor still. But again, they just they had stars in the middle and then figured out how to fill out the rest of the roster, whether that was your like with Timofey Mozgov, who got paid handsomely off of because of his play in the finals. That was just they filled it out with everybody else and made it work. That's how they went to the finals at, every year that he was back. They Think about that. LeBron comes back and then you go to four straight finals. You win one, you lose three of them, but two of the three that you lose to are to a team led by Curry and KD. It just, you were, you were not going to win. And the other one, you lose Kevin Durant and, or I'm sorry, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving weren't even there for the finals. I know Kyrie played game one, but like game one got hurt, got, got hurt right at the end of game one. Kevin Love never even played. Um, But yeah, and then you still manage to go to six games. So that's just the simple matter of like, if you can get the stars at the top, you'll figure the rest out. That's like, that's why when you're building a team, if you're ever going to do one of those like fantasy drafts, like you pick whoever you want, who are you going to start with? You're not, guess what? You're not going to start with Quentin Nelson. I love Quentin Nelson. You're not going to start with him. You're going to start with a superstar. You're going to start with a quarterback probably. It's just what you're going to do. It's a few years ago, you you might have even said Aaron Donald because he's just that good. But you're not going to you're not going to start with a guy. So you're not going to start with someone that's a guy. You're not going to start with a good defensive end. You're going to start with a star defensive end, a star quarterback, a star this or that, the other. Because so then, you can fill well, out everything else. You could figure out the other stuff. But if you because if you have a star, the Packers are doing it this year. They have Aaron Rodgers at the top. They trade away Devontae Adams. Everyone's like. Oh, what wide receiver star are they going to bring in? They got money. Are they going to go after Julio, Odell Beckham? What are they going to do? Nope. They're just going to fill it out with the other stuff and say Aaron Rodgers is good enough to fix the the issues and we'll spend that money elsewhere. So on that same idea, what do you make of a team like Pittsburgh where you could argue they have the stars and they don't have the foundation built out around them, but they also have, you know, what what I consider to be like one of the seven coaches that actually adds value. Like there's seven good coaches. Everyone else is, is replaceable. And Mike Tomlin is clearly one of those. That's like hall of fame level good and actually has a stable, solid program. What do you make of a team like that in, you know, they've done the right things in theory to build out the foundation around TJ Watt and around Cam Hayward and around Minka Fitzpatrick, who I know Minka Fitzpatrick's not like a super superstar, but they've like done the right things in that respect of trying to build out a, a roster around their stars. It just doesn't feel like they're actually going to be that good. In the modern NFL, quarterback just matters so much. Uh, I mean, there's just, like, Unless you have a team like San Francisco where you can survive without the quarterback, 
<laughs> quarterback just matters too much. I mean, yeah, San Francisco, who who has the same like draft record as like the Legion of Boom Seahawks in the early 2010s. They have like nine pro bowlers and eight of them were drafted by the team. But I mean, that's just like the thing is that team has been they've figured out a way to win in spite of the quarterback. You guys literally stomped Green Bay in the in the NFC championship game three years ago with Jimmy throwing eight passes. Yeah, that two hours without throwing a pass. Yeah, you won without the quarterback. Like the quarterback did not need to be there or that quarterback didn't need to be there. You could have had Nick Mullins under center just handed the ball off to Raheem Mostert and still would have won the game. It wouldn't have mattered. You could have had literally anyone. He threw zero passes in two hours of real time. He did not throw a single pass for like literally two hours and 10 minutes during that game. But that's so that's the thing is like if you if you have a system like that, you can win in spite of the quarterback. I don't think Pittsburgh has that type of system yet. And that's just a matter of they got they went all in and they had really unfortunate timing of injuries and aging like their offensive line went from being one of the best in the league to I'm pretty sure all of those guys are either retired or or got traded away. You had Alejandro Villanueva went to the Ravens. You had Marquise Pouncey retired. You had uh, DeMar Dotson, I think it was. Like, just everybody that they had on that great offensive line got old really fast. And if you don't draft well, you're going to be in trouble because you have – that's why the teams that trade away all these picks, it's so important for them to hit on the later picks that they keep because – Otherwise, you're going to be in a Pittsburgh situation. You're going to be in a situation like the Titans who had a very brief window and then now their window is collapsing because they missed on their offensive linemen. The Patriots, there's a reason they're they're struggling because they can't figure out how to hit on picks. Like they're drafting Cole Strange and they have they cut both of their tight ends that they picked like two years ago. Mm. They drafted two tight ends in the third round two years ago. Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, I believe, was the other one. And they both got cut. And then like like eight months after that, they signed Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Like it was such a to weird most, decision. To like the most expensive deals that we had ever seen in the like in the NFL history for a tight end. That's that's why draft like if you're gonna keep those late picks, that's fine. That you gotta hit those. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble because you're not gonna have you're not gonna have filled out your cupboard. Your cupboard's gonna be bare and you're gonna go, oh, I'm gonna grab something. Oh, wait, there's nothing left to grab. That one is difficult when it comes to like Pittsburgh because they're trying to right their wrongs. Like I think every skill position player for Pittsburgh, except Deontay Johnson, who was picked in 2019, was drafted in the last three years. Like every single skill position player now for the Steelers is either a first year, a second year or a third year at this point. So they're like they're trying to right the wrongs. Is it just that it's going to take time or like we don't know that? Pickens is going to be great. We don't know that Fryermuth is going to be on the team, and we don't know what Kenny Pickett is going to end up being. Is that kind of why? Is it just that they're all too young at this point? I mean, I think a lot of it is that, but at the same, I mean, so like their defense is older. Like there's some young stars there, but it's it's not a super young defense. Meanwhile, your offense is your offense is super young. You have Kenny Pickett is your is your quarterback of the future, hypothetically. Then you have Pickens, Claypool. Johnson, Najee Harris, and Pat Pat Frymuth. Other than Deontay Johnson, all of those guys are on first contracts. And Clay, in the case of Johnson, or not, in, uh, but and then Claypool or Claypool, 
Pickens, Najee, Kenny, and Fryman, those guys are all three years or, or like only in their third year at the most or younger. Yeah, I think Claypool and Deontay Johnson are the same age, even though like they're different years. Now, De- Johnson's one year older, but they're they're one year removed draft wise. Johnson was just eligible for an extension this offseason. Yeah, that's but that's I think. Yeah, I think it's Deontay Johnson is one of those guys that was in college a little longer than the other one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's just that's just the simple fact of the team's really young and you have to sync up both sides of the ball at the right time to be competitive. And if you have a team or you'll forever be trying to do a balancing act, like the Broncos, they had a team that was older on both sides of the ball, but they were stars and older at the same time. So they went and they made a push. That's how they were able to win a Super Bowl. And that's also why everything immediately fell apart afterwards. So that one's interesting just because I assume that if Aaron Donald can impact the game on the defensive side of the ball like a quarterback, the next closest player I thought of was was Pittsburgh with TJ Watt of like a player who's not a quarterback, but can impact a game the same way a quarterback does just because of how good they are at football. So I guess maybe like if the defense has other holes around it, then it's not going to look like what the Rams have, because I look at Pittsburgh and I'm like, well, they have this the best one of the three best defensive players in the league and a hall of fame coach and at least a pretty good defense therefore the difference between them and the rams is what and i guess it is you know beyond just the foundational aspects of the rams and the steelers i mean i think that the rams are still the rams are guys that are not in like they're all in their prime none of them are really past their prime yet other than you could argue matthew stafford might be they're a team that's built on a lot of guys that are in their prime and then they're and then they just got to hope that their stars are good enough to carry them that's why like the idea of if Aaron Donald retires that's why this team could fall off a cliff so quickly because they are so reliant on his ability to just change the game and change the way that people play against them i think Jalen Ramsey is one of the best corners in the league if not the best corner in the league but that team functions off of what Aaron Donald does because you can't just send, but the vast majority of teams can't just send one guy to him. They got to send two or three to him, which changes the way that the blitzers can come. And it changes then if the corners coming on a blitz, there's one less guy that can pay attention to that corner blitz and makes that play even more effective. So everything hinges off of one guy. And while TJ Watt is great and won a defense player of the year award, he doesn't get defended the same way that Aaron Donald does. And I think a lot, a large part of that is because of where he comes from. Like he rushes from the edge, whereas Aaron Donald's rushing right up the middle. Aaron Donald can blow up run plays to the inside just as easily as he can blow up a pass play because he can get to the quarterback quicker. TJ Watt just has to, it's going to take him longer to get there. I get that part of it. And I guess that's why like the, the math has reversed on this a bit where everyone's like, well, everyone wants an edge rusher because edge rushers can get around the side and impact the play. And then Aaron Donald's just so dominant that it's like, well, that's the most valuable place to put a pass rusher is right up the middle because they can get to the quarterback faster. It's just nobody can do what Aaron Donald does where he's like shedding double teams in the middle of in the middle of the defense. Yeah, I just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens for the team that is able to find the next generational talent. I don't know, because I mean, the previous generational talent as an interior pass rusher was J.J. Watt. Mm -hmm. And then it was Aaron Donald. And those guys, like edge rushers can be great. Like T.J. Watt 
Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa to an extent. Just those guys can be great off the edge. But when you can have a guy in the middle of your defense, whether it's at your middle linebacker spot or at the or on the like as an interior defensive lineman, those guys can just change the way everything works. I mean, Vita Vea in Tampa is a perfect example. He's not he's not a great pass rusher, but he's an elite level run defender because he's so big and he takes up so much space inside. He changes the entire way that that defense plays when it comes when it comes to defending interior plays because he can soak up so much room and that frees up everybody else around him. Because when you can have one guy get so much attention in the center of the field. That sh- that shrinks the field for the offense because the offense has to compress to pay attention to him inside, and then that frees up everybody else outside. If you can have like Richard Sherman, uh, there's a reason I always say that Richard Sherman was never the best corner in football. It's because he only played one half of the field, and I don't care if that's just what the system is. If you have an elite corner on the field in Richard Sherman. And you're playing against Calvin Johnson and you're going to tell me, oh, well, Richard's only going to guard Calvin when he's on his half of the field. No, no. If you're in a league corner, you, I need you to go cover him wherever he's at. If that means he's in the slot, then you're going to the slot. If he's on the other side of the field, then you're on the other side of the field. There's a reason Darrell Revis was always a better corner, in my opinion, than Richard Sherman was because he could Revis. It didn't matter where you were at. He was coming to find you. And that's and so when you're you can have an elite player on the edge, but you can kind of throw away from him. Okay, Richard Sherman's on the right side. We'll go ahead and we'll put our we'll put our wide receiver two on that side, let our wide receiver one go attack the other corner, and we have we like that matchup all day long. Or we can put or in modern NFL, oh, we can put him in the slot. That takes him away. Oh, there's an edge defender on that's gonna be coming off the quarterback's blind side. Okay, cool. We'll put a tight end of that side, just chip block all day, just wear him out. If what there's do you a think? guy in the middle, you can you can, okay, fine. We got to keep a running back in, which means that he can't go out into a pattern. Or we got to make sure we got two guards on him, but we got a guard on him, and then the other guard, if he doesn't have a blitzer to his side, he's got to pay attention to maybe come over and help on Donald as well. What do you think about someone like Micah Parsons being the next version of that interior rusher where he could play middle linebacker spot, he can play outside linebacker, they sometimes flex him over to safety, put him in man coverage, like a versatile guy like that, do you think he's best served being in like the middle linebacker rush the middle type of player? I don't. I don't think he's that guy. I think he is a freak athlete. There's no doubt about that. But I think I don't know if he's got I don't, I don't know what it is. There's not a there's not a way to quantify it. I just I don't think he is that guy that if I'm putting him in the center of the defense, that's where I want him. I want him to be all over the place. Is the is the, so it's almost like there's a difference between a player that has Swiss Army knife can be anywhere potential and a guy that's going to be in the center of the defense and just in the offense's way no matter where he's at, like. Bobby Wagner was going to, you knew where he was going to be. He was going to be in the middle of the defense at all times. Uh, who is the Fred Warner for the 40 for the, for the 49ers? He's going to be in the middle. You know where he's going to be at. Same thing with Darius Leonard, who, you know, very quietly might be the best at that in the NFL. Yeah. Shaq Leonard. He's in the middle. At oh, all that's times. right. His name is Shaq. Now I just learned that today that and, Darius Leonard is now Shaq Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been, yeah, he's always been Shaq Leonard and he just never told anybody until this year, but 
you sit here and if a guy is in the middle of the defense, I can I I know where he's at and it doesn't matter because I know he's gonna make a he's gonna make a play on the game. I mean, with uh, Ray Lewis, you oh or no Brian Erlacher is an even better example. He was not the most athletic guy on the field ever, but you knew where he was gonna be and he was still making impact plays on the game. Like so, that's why I think that a guy in the middle. Of, so that's why Mike Parsons' his ability to move all over the place is great, but. I don't think he is, he's not the next generational guy that's going to be in the middle of a defense that's just going to cause problems. I don't think Donald's done being that guy yet, and I don't think that the next generational guy is around yet. Or if he is, he hasn't broken out yet. I assume it's going to be someone who's like a top 10 talent. Like The reason that that exists is because you have those physical body types and something happens during your development. Like I assume it's someone who's going to be drafted, if not with the number one or number two pick, like at the very top of the draft. It doesn't always have to be, but I mean, it probably will be. I mean, it's just, like I said, it is, it is hard to know who that guy is going to be. I mean, you could make the argument that there's guys that it should have been like Quinn and Williams. If he ends up in a system other than with the jets, maybe we think about it. Maybe if, Jordan Davis was a little bit better of a pass rusher. Maybe Jordan Davis is going to be that guy. We don't know who it's going to be yet. And I think Aaron Donald still has the claim to that throne. And honestly, if Miles Garrett rushed more from inside, I think he's got that potential because he's that special of a player. He just rushes from the edge almost exclusively. And so that's why I don't can't quite put him there. I mean, Aaron Donald is just in a league of his own. It would be interesting if the Browns did switch up their defense and had Garrett line up more on the interior, just because for years it's always been like you never know who the Browns defensive tackles are going to be. So it'd be interesting if they did switch up the way they play defense. Yeah, but that day has not come yet, and I don't think it's going to come anytime soon. Miles Garrett is just too... They also don't have the edge rush depth. You got like if you're going to try and do a move like that, you got to have the edge rushers to pull it off. And I just don't think they have that at this point. I mean, they could like change the roster up though. Like they could invest. I mean, they don't have a ton of draft picks anymore, but they could invest draft picks in edge rushers. They could invest in signing one of those like free agent guys. I know when the trade deadline comes around every year, everyone doesn't. Everyone needs edge rushers. So like, there's just an edge rusher shortage in the NFL. I feel like they could if they like made a concerted effort to switch up their defense, but that might require bringing in a different coaching staff. Yeah, I, yeah, and that. But I was mostly focusing on like the immediate like year. Like I, mm-hmm. like if I was going to see a change like that happen of him rushing more from the inside, could I see that happening this year? I can't, and so that's mostly what I was focused on there. Versus, like you have a team like Green Bay where Rashawn Gary will rush from the inside, even if they don't have like that last year with Zadari Smith basically out the entire year. There were times in every single game where Rashawn Gary would rush from not his outside normal outside linebacker spot. He would rush from like hand in the dirt, like head up in between the tackle and the guard. He would rush from there. There are teams that are there's just yeah, like it could just be a scheme thing. But it's also just if your team sets you up to do that, then you can do that. And I think that if you are a successful team, you should move your players all over at all times. It's the same reason why I don't think Cliff Kingsbury, I think he gets way more credit as an offensive play designer than he should. He doesn't move his players around. DeAndre Hopkins lines up almost universally on one side of the field. He Rondell Moore had 
I think he only caught a couple of balls in front of the line of scrimmage last year. He caught nearly every single pass that he got was a screen last year. It's why his yards that he had like more yards after the catch than he had air yards last season. <laughs> like let that sink in for a second. He had more yards after the catch than he did air yards because all he would catch were screens and everyone's like, Oh, Cliff's a great offensive designer. Is he really though? But the people who say that I feel like are people who aren't like really doing X's and O's analysis. They just see the results of the Cardinals offense and they see Kyler Murray be a good quarterback. And they just assume that because Cliff Kingsbury coached Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes and is an air raid guy that they just assume that the revolutionary offense is still there. And that's part of why the Cardinals, you know, start the year eight. No, or whatever it was last year. I feel like it's people that aren't doing like X's and O's analysis breakdown or they're taking the, the secondhand analysis of other people when it comes to that stuff. Okay. So real quick, uh, last year, his uh, Rhino Moore, do, guess his average depth of target. Uh, I actually, what would the average for the league be? Like I'm guessing. Well, So I'm going to, so I'm going to be... tell you this, the guy right in front of him for the team was Andy Isabella at six, but he doesn't really count. Cause he only played 10 games. He averaged point one reception per game yeah if other than that it's antoine wesley among and this is among the wide receivers on the team was mm-hmm. 10.1 that was that was the average depth of the target of the guy in front of ronda moore okay so i'm gonna say like eight i'm gonna say eight 1.4 <laughs> his average air yards per game this is this is average air yards per game seven no. Yes. No. That has, can't be true. I, That's it is a hundred percent true. You want you want to go look it up? Go look it up. It was on. <laughs> it's on four for four on the air yards on their air yards app. Rondell Moore averaged seven air yards per game. He had an average of thirty-one receiving yards per game. That oh is a gosh. that is a hundred percent fact. He had a mar- market share of the air yards two point seven percent. It was absolutely pitiful, abysmal, and sad. They don't That's know. Like, there are some teams where just the scheme doesn't work because coaches don't know how to use it. And that is a prime example of it. Rondell Moore, who's a guy who has who had crazy speed. They couldn't do anything other than just, hey, we're going to have you um, catch screens. Can I do anything else? No, that is that is literally all we can do. Do and you actually, think that's going to change now that they have Hollywood Brown and possibly incorporate DeAndre Hopkins, too? Hollywood might get a few more, like might get a few more. Oh, now I have the official air yards. He had 97 air yards on the season and 435 yards. That can't or, be possible. His, yeah, his yards. At, he had 438 yards after the catch. Did you hear how many receiving yards he had? 435. <laughs> 435 AKA, he had on the three season. more yards after the catch than he had total receiving yards on the year. That That basically doesn't happen. No, I mean he was 1.4 air yards a game. Yeah, or 1. 4 4, air yards 4, per catch. Yeah, one point no. So his one point his average depth of target was 1.49. His run after the catch rate uh ratios that that's total yards by air yards was 4.48. That is an obscene number. That doesn't that's not a thing. There's like <laughs> DeAndre or AJ Green was 0.76. Zach Ertz was 0.9. DeAndre Hopkins was 0.73. Just yeah, of course. It makes all the sense in the world that someone's total yards compared to their air yards that they would be higher numbers than than that than like four point. Everyone assumes just by watching football that that would be the case. 
Yeah. So that is so that is a fun fact that I love to remember whenever I go into fantasy drafts to not take Rondo Moore. And I don't really want to take any receiver for the for the Cardinals other than DeAndre Hopkins. And even then, obviously he's suspended, so I'm not taking him at the beginning of the draft. I just if you like there's certain teams where the coaches know what they're doing and they lead to more success. And there's a reason why some coaches last for years upon years upon years. And there's other coaches who just get cycled out every couple of years. Like you lovey Smith is the coach in Houston right now. I think that he'll probably be fired by this time next year. hundred percent, hundred percent. He'll be gone because they wanted to hire Josh McCown and they couldn't hundred percent. He'll be gone. And there's nothing he can do to save his job because they've given him a shitty roster. Uh, I mean, we were talking about Pittsburgh or we're talking about the Panthers and Washington and Cardinals because they were similar in terms of like going all in. Does that mean you think the Cardinals won't make the playoffs this year? Because I agree that they're probably third in that division. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I mean, if I look right now at like the projected odds, I'm pretty sure they are projected to finish outside of the like of the of the playoffs. I don't think basically the, the, the thing that I've calculated in my mind based on assuming who the best teams are is that the last playoff spot comes down to Cardinals, Saints and Vikings. And I, I will say this. Everybody's way more in on the Vikings than I am. I I think that I might be biased because I'm a Packer fan, but and not the biggest Kirk Cousins fan in the world. I'm not, but like I like there's there's people that are building him up like he is going to be that that dude and I'm just like I don't know what the it's, hell. It's are. never happened once in his well it happened one time in that game where they came back against the Bucks, but like it's never happened ever in his NFL career that he's been the dude. As I'm looking at it right now, the so Football Outsiders actually has the projected D, uh DVOA like best team in the NFC North to be the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I don't. Not, they they're projecting them for nine point eight wins like per their like maths yeah, and system. Yeah, like the I and see. they are projecting the Cardinals for seven point four wins, which would have them uh, as a thirteen point seven percent chance to be a wild card team. It looks like yeah, so they have a. So a total chance of 28.3% chance of making the playoffs is how this uh this wow. model works. And well, yes, you have it in front of you. Who who's right ahead of the Cardinals? Um so unfortunately the way that their system is set up is it's by division. So Detroit at 31.3 in the NFC is how it looks. And wow. this isn't a, this isn't a flawless metric by any stretch of the imagination. This is football outsiders, it's their DVOA thing. Oh, there we go. That's that's much easier. Okay, so their top, like their top odds are to make a conference appear like championship appearance. It's the Bills and then the Bucks are one and two. Okay. And then I will give you one guess as to who you think three is. And I will tell you this: it is an NFC team. Who is the next highest odds in their projections to make a conference championship? <laughs> I really want to say the Vikings. <laughs> it's the Vi- not the Vikings. Okay, it is the. <laughs> Eagles. Okay. Shocking. I would have put 49ers above that, but I think that the NFC West is probably cannibalizing each other a little bit. The Niners are like 15th on this. Wow. So it's it's Buffalo, Bucks, Eagles, Chargers, Rams, Ravens, Cowboys, Chiefs, Vikings, Saints, Packers, Broncos, Bengals, 49ers. So they're like dead middle of the pack. But okay. yeah, there, so there's this whole 
like you sit here and you think about how the teams are going to shake out this year. I don't think the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. I would put, let's go, like, I would go Eagles, Cowboys, Packers, 49ers, Rams, Bucks, Bucks, and then you got two, you got one team left, and it's between, yeah, probably the Saints and the Cardinals, the Cardinals the maybe, or, and then the Vikings. Yeah, I would probably put the Vikings in there over. I would, I would either go between Vikings and Saints. I would have the Cardinals as the clear third best team out of that trio. Okay, so that would mean they would be like ninth to 10th place group right there with the teams that we said earlier, the Panthers and Washington, the teams that are finishing clearly third place in their division. Yep, and that's exactly where I have them finishing is third in their division. I don't have them I don't have them getting last, but I definitely don't have them like winning their division. Yeah, but third third in the NFC West is basically last cuz the Seahawks aren't trying. Just like, you know, Vikings are going to finish second in the NFC North because the Lions and well, the Lions are trying. They're just going to be bad, but the Lions and Bears are not really trying. So those teams are going to be in the mix just by that virtue. This is true. Yeah, I I, I mean, the Lions, I think everyone's way higher on them than they should be. I think the Lions can be fun and feisty, but I don't think the Lions will actually be good. No, Lions, Jets, and Jaguars are in the same group, which is trying to win, don't have the talent to win. So they will be drafting in the five, six, seven range of the draft. I think the Lions could be drafting in the early like double digits or late single digits. That that one is fair. They they do, you know, they play relatively easy games of a few places on the schedule. Well, it's more just it's and, more a dog of the other teams. I think they'll finish I think the Texans, the Falcons, the Bears, the Jets. There's so there's four teams. I think the Seahawks, Seahawks five. Yeah. Uh, uh Giants. Giants, six. Jaguars probably seven. Um I think there's an outside shot. The Titans finish below them. Uh, the that Commanders, Panthers. There's, there's a lot. The uh, no, not the Raiders because they have a lot of weapons. But so there's a lot of teams that I think could just conceivably finish <laughs> ahead of the Lions in terms of like draft pick, just because the Lions are feisty enough to steal a game or two. And I'll add to this point is that because there's so many good teams in the AFC this year, like 12 teams that are like. Not necessarily playoff caliber good, but like 12 of the 18 best teams in football might be in the AFC. Someone's going to have a pitiful season this year, and it it might be either the Steelers or the Patriots. But like one of those teams is going to have to lose 10 or 11 games just by how the schedule breaks down. We don't know who it's going to be between like the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the the uh, Dolph. Uh, I said the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Broncos and the Steelers. One of those teams is going to have to lose. Uh, you threw the Titans in there. We could throw the Titans in that group too. One of those teams is going to have to go like six and 11 just by how the schedule breaks down. It'll probably be because of injuries, but one of them is going to have to also be probably worse than the Lions. Yeah. That, and that's just the way it goes because not everybody can go and win every single week. That just doesn't happen. And and it's less likely that everyone's going to go eight and nine or everyone's going to go nine and eight like last year. Like last year just happened to break down that way where the Falcons had the same record as Washington, but they were drafting seven spots apart in the draft. Like maybe a statistical anomaly happens like that. But one of those when I said at the very beginning of the pod, when I first got on, I want to see which teams are going to separate because there's going to be a clear separation of teams. I think there's going to be a few teams that separate themselves and go to the top. And then everybody else will fall in line behind them. I think that the 
lower end teams are going to be just all splitting hairs between each other. And by the end of the, by the end of the year, we could end up with a ton of teams that finish with five to eight wins. And we'll just be in T. So the picks like eight through 16 in the draft will all be within like four wins of each other, just because they all cannibalized on each other. And then the top teams were just like, Hey, thanks for the free win this week. We'll be keep, we'll keep it moving. Yeah, you say four wins it might only be like one game difference between picks eight through 16 like it the the teams that are going to finish seven and eight wins are going to be plentiful this year i think but just because they're going to beat up on each other and if like you said there's a team or multiple teams that only lose one two or three games then they're getting easy wins that they otherwise wouldn't last year was just weird because like the Titans were the one seed at 12 and five in the, in the AFC. So it's just a weird season where results just happen to break that way, where everyone had between seven and 10 wins. And then we look up and the Raiders and Steelers happen to make the playoffs this year. There might be a little bit of a gap. I still feel like everyone's going to be in the like middle group. Cause like you said, it's going to be a clear separation between who's terrible and who are the teams that separate themselves at the top. Yep. That's what I'm expecting to see. Well, it'll be fun to watch that play out. Uh, last question I got for you, just because we talked about this like six times last year. What What do you think of Trey Lance? I know it's the obligatory question that's going I, on right now. I love the, I love the player, and I'm excited to see him play in the regular season. I'm excited to hopefully get to see him play as as the player that I saw in college. I want to see the guy that. I don't want to. I don't want to see the nonsensical just RPO handoff or just throw a quick slant. I want to see him get to be a guy. That is what I thought was so special about him. Was you saw him play in college? He could do so much, and he was clearly. I get it, it was a different level of competition. He was just clearly ahead of better, ahead better than everybody. But Kyle Shanahan's been looking for his guy for years now and he has his guy. So I want to see what that means. What is that going to do for this offense? We've seen the Jimmy G offense. I want to see what this offense is going to be. I think the Trey Lance can be an extremely talented player, or I think he is an extremely talented player. And I think he can be very special. And it's just a matter of whether or not he's able to really seize the moment. I know there's been mixed reports in camp and in preseason, and I don't care one bit i think preseason doesn't matter camp doesn't matter nothing matters until you put the helmets on and then you start playing between the white lines that's why that's why the preseason records don't count congrats the ravens are 20 have won like 23 straight preseason games since 2016 they have not won a super bowl during that time and no but no one cares no one cares it doesn't those games don't matter it doesn't matter until the regular season starts and when that happens that's when you can start knocking players and judging them. Don't sit here and say, oh, this guy's already a bust because he's not looked good in the preseason. Cool, man. Who cares? This is why uh, this is why we created the preseason Hall of Fame many years ago to keep track of this stuff. And the preseason Hall of Fame now consists of both Dak Prescott and also Deshaun Kaiser. Does hey, not we, matter at all. Those we preseason pre- Hall of Famers are legit, man. They matter. They're going to do great. To, who cares? It's the preseason. Yeah. There's a reason I don't watch it. If and it and people and if anybody ever comes to me and says, "Well, how do I know you're like gonna do well as a job, like with a job in football? You don't even watch preseason. Are you gonna pay me? Okay, I'll watch it then. But you're I, you're not. If you're, <laughs> I'm not gonna watch backup players for teams that I don't root for for free. 
Yeah, no, we finally stopped pretending the preseason matters within the NFL. Like, they, no, no, I know plenty of people in NFL media that love the preseason. That oh, I, I mean the NFL teams. Like, I mean like, the NFL teams. Team teams are playing like third and fourth stringers to decide fifty third roster spots in these games. The, the the second stringers don't even play in preseason games anymore. Like, the, it's it's become so evident that preseason is about figuring out the last few roster spots, and that's what the use of them has become. Because we went through the pandemic year where there were no preseason games and everything went fine. And people realized, why would I care so much about this when it, it does not matter at all? But yeah, so I don't care about the preseason. So I'm excited to see Trey Lance play. Um, I like the fact that he gets to play against the Bears in week one. That's a team that I don't think has a very good defense. They've lost a lot of their pieces. And I think he could have a really, really big day. And it's also the whole showdown between him and Justin Fields, even though I think Justin Fields is going to have probably one of the roughest games of his lives like of his yeah. life in in that game and it's not and it's unfair to him because there's nothing he can do about a bad offensive line yeah it's sad on draft day bears are going to ruin him and we are absolutely right have never have ne- had no evidence to the contrary that the bears are not going to ruin that career the field or, or i'm sorry the lance one is interesting because i hypothesize that it's highly highly improbable that he has a terrible year just because no rookie quarterback drafted that high has ever totally flamed out like right off the bat it's there's no precedent for someone entering a situation with a really good roster that flames out terribly now it might look like rookie year baker mayfield where it's like 28 touchdowns 15 picks and a 88 quarterback rating but it's not gonna if i'm not mistaken didn't baker like set the record for like rookie passing yards yeah yeah he was rookie of the year all that stuff like it it's not going to it's not going to flame out horribly with trey lance there is no scenario for a team that i mean health permitting health permitting with the 49ers team which is always a big if but you know health permitting there is no scenario where a team that talented with a rookie quarterback drafted that high is where the quarterback is going to like look like zach wilson last year or look like trevor lawrence last year there is no it's highly highly improbable that that's going to be the case even for the 49ers funny thing about baker he actually wasn't even the ap offensive rookie of the year during the the year he got drafted was it saquon saquon got the ap rookie of the year baker got the pro football writers association rookie of the year okay that that's fair i I do remember that both of them were good that year i just yeah they were both good i've just like i just googled it or i went to his like pro football reference page because i'm like did he win rookie of the year because i felt like i didn't remember that and it was because barkley got all the pot all the hype and whatnot because he was the ap one which is the one most people pay attention to but i was like did baker win something he got the yeah pro football writers association like yeah, I looked up. He broke Peyton Manning's record for, or not Peyton Manning. He broke someone's record for most touchdowns in a rookie season, which then got broken by Justin Herbert a couple of years ago. Yeah, you'll have that. Yeah, the modern NFL will change. In the modern NFL, those records will constantly be broken. Yeah, it's it's like how every couple of years, it's like first quarterback ever to reach thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand passing yards. Matthew Stafford. Congratulations to Matthew Stafford for for being the fastest quarterback ever to hit all these marks. I'm like, yeah, that's just modern NFL making that one possible. Yeah, just like the whole like Cooper Cup, or I think that like Justin Jefferson. I heard today somebody say that he could probably be the first wide receiver to get two thousand yards. Personally, I don't think that he will because there's because Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, just other guys being on that team. And I think now Jalen Rager as of today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the first guy to hit 2000 yards is going to be someone that 
is like the alpha. He's going to be the guy on his team. And then no one else is going to be there. It's going to be a guy that stays healthy for 17 games is on a good offense. And then is the guy, he is the unquestioned guy. And I think that's going to be the guy that hits 2000 yards in a season for the first time. It's going to take truly, it's going to take the perfect combination of truly one of the three hall of fame talent receivers with one of the three hall of fame talent quarterbacks, like that perfect combination is going to have to happen to make that possible, which, but actually uh, I think the quarterback can like, can't be as good. I think you need a Kirk cousins level quarterback with a, an elite talent. Yeah. I guess the better way to phrase that is someone who throws for a lot of yards. So like, like Matt Stafford uh, with Calvin Johnson, when Calvin Johnson had like however many yards he had, because the key, because the key thing here, like Aaron Rodgers is a hall of fame caliber quarterback, but, and he could feed Devonta Adams all he wants, but at the same time, he's also good enough to find ways to get other guys involved. You need a guy that's just good enough to feed the guy you want to get the ball and then not pay attention to anybody else. That's the kind of guy you need. That's why, because like if you have like great quarterbacks, are going to find ways to get everybody involved. It's the same reason why the greatest point guards of all time can get everybody involved. The greatest quarterbacks, even if they're working with one superstar and then a bunch of just Joes, like just anybody's, they can get everybody else involved. The good quarterbacks, yeah. like, like they're good enough to hit a guy, but they they're not necessarily good enough to just elevate all of the other ships with them. The person I had in my mind when I was doing this analysis was like Joe Burrow. Like if you gave Joe Burrow Calvin Johnson, that's what I was kind of thinking in my head of like not necessarily Patrick Mahomes level good, but like someone better than Derek Carr, but not in an offense where they spread the ball around is kind of what I was thinking is is someone like Joe Burrow. Replicate basically just replicating whatever 2019 LSU looked like, where Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall all broke the LSU touchdown record for in a single season. That team was just not fair, it was dumb. Yeah, I, I mean, I say this all the time now. People on the show are probably tired of hearing it from me. Like, you had the best quarterback to enter the NFL. I mean, it could be him or Herbert, but you have like one of the two best quarterbacks to enter the NFL in the last five years playing on the same team as the two best wide receivers to enter the NFL in a generation. Like it's just an impossible combination to have come true. That is not something that happens very often. It is. And it is, it must be nice to live that life. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted for sure. And I appreciate you coming on the show, Gage. Uh, I got to head out now, but I appreciate uh, all of the analysis and fun talking about like macro level NFL stuff again. It's fun to get back into those conversations with someone who knows all of the smarts and analytics and can throw Rondale Moore stats that are fantastic at me. I heard about that one earlier today and I was like, I'm going to drop this one because it's going to be fun. It's well, so thanks, great. Kyle, for having me back and we will see you later, man. Absolutely. See you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.